This is Dan Wharton Uncancelled. Let's go. Just one thing first, though. And Meghan Markle's kamikaze mission to bring down the royal family, which she needs to have, right, to have any relevance, well, it continued today with yet another unhinged tirade. The tell-all for the woke US magazine The Cut is a horrendous read, showing a bitter and self-obsessed Hollywood diva completely out of touch with the world around her. She goes in on the royal family, she trashes Prince Charles's relationship with her gutless husband, Harry, and puts out a pack of pure fantasies about the British media, including this laughable claim that there would be 40 photographers in a press pen each time her children went to school, and claiming the media called her son the N-word, with proof of the said incident, of course, completely non-existent. It didn't happen. But perhaps the most telling anecdote was when Meghan shared an apparent exchange between her and a South African cast member of The Lion King in London. This was in 2019. She says, he looked at me and he's just like light. He said, I just need you to know when you married into this family, we rejoiced in the streets the same we did when Mandela was freed from prison. Good Lord. There's really no hope for is there? Or Prince Harry, if he stays down this rabbit hole. So how the hell have we got here? We are facing an existential energy crisis this winter. I mean, in fact, this is an energy catastrophe. And it's because we let the middle-class, lefty Ramona lunatics who dominate British politics enact their virtue-signalling plans without a hint of considering the dire consequences. Like the disastrous Liberal Democrat Deputy Prime Minister Nick Clegg, who boasted, he boasted of his decision to reject nuclear power, both safe and environmentally friendly, because it wouldn't be available until uh, exactly when we needed it. The most optimistic scenarios from the government itself, there's no way they're going to have new nuclear uh, come on stream until about 2021, 2022. So it's just not even an answer. 2022, think, think that's about now, Mr Clegg. Then there's the party's current leader, Ed Davey, who as energy secretary in the Cameron Clegg coalition banned fracking and claims to be proud of leaving us in this mess. Final point. A regulation I passed as Secretary of State, which was because I was very uh, careful about the environment, has actually meant that the fracking industry has not developed in this country at all. It was the regulation on earth tremors, the seismicity regulation, and I'm very proud that you're looking at the person basically stop the fracking industry in this country. Very proud? He should hang his head in shame. And don't forget Theresa May whose 2017 decision to cap energy prices, a policy ripped off straight from Labour's former socialist leader, Ed Miliband, has failed spectacularly. Bills have not been kept down, competition has been destroyed, and managed energy suppliers have been declared bankrupt. So that worked out, right? Not. 
Then there's May's decision to damn us to net zero by 2050. A last minute move made in the month before she was booted from number 10, nodded through without hardly any debate given the life-changing nature of the policy. As the Daily Telegraph's associate editor, Camilla Tomine wrote at the weekend, the rush to decarbonise the economy with no plan for how to achieve that over such a short period of time threatens to become one of the most expensive mistakes in recent British history. And if you think things are bad now, just wait till the green extremists enact more of their plan. As you know, I'm an environmentalist, but the continued march to net zero in the middle of an energy catastrophe created in part by an unprecedented two-year shutdown of the global economy and an unexpected European war cutting us up from Russian gas, that is unhinged. It will see us lose control of our own resources with ordinary Brits, forced to live smaller and smaller lives while the elites exert full control. We'll be eating insects and banned from travelling while they continue to down beef carpaccio on their private jets. Like Prince Harry, the world's biggest eco-hypocrite who took a private jet 1,000 miles from his Californian home and transported his polo kit in a separate car. Before the usual suspects try to blame Brexit, just look at Germany, which is introducing a raft of draconian measures from September the 1st to try and cut the country's energy output by a whopping 20% to avoid blackouts thanks to a reliance on Russian gas. As Tory peer Lord Daniel Moylan rightly analysed, this is for those suggesting the energy shortages are caused by Brexit and the Conservatives. The next Prime Minister is going to have to reverse the damage and the decline started by Clegg's Lib Dem coalition, picked up by Theresa May, so that the UK is never reliant on bad actors for our energy again. But to respond now, my superstar panel, Top Daily Express columnist Carol Malone. Senior reporter for the I newspaper, Benjamin Butterworth, and former MEP, campaigner and political commentator, Belinda DeLucy. Carol Malone, as you know, I care about the environment. I really think there are things mm. we can do. But to me now, at this point in time, the march to net zero by 2050, it feels deranged. It is deranged because it's going to cost this government, whichever government is in power over the next few years, is going to cost a trillion and a half a year to impose the measures necessary. That's going to cost every household an extra two, two and a half grand a year on top of everything else. Never mind the cost of living crisis, never mind anything else. On top of that, it's it's just not sustainable. And, you know, it kind of makes me cross when they talk about this country. We, we are responsible for 1% of global emissions. You know, China, 28%. America, 15%. India, 7.5%. None of those have committed to 2050 in the way we have. And I, I, I was doing some reading on this today, and I, I, we are only 14 countries have made made legally binding pledges to get to net zero. Um, 57, only 57 out of 139 have got a detailed plan about how they're going to get there. And I'm not entirely sure we're one of those 57. You know, it's all very well saying we're going to do this, but Theresa May did this without a plan. She did it with no consultation. She did it with... No, she didn't talk to anybody about it. She just announced it 
a month before she went. And I just think it's interesting, you know, whenever you see her looking at Boris in Parliament or, or talking about it, she talks about him like he's an idiot. She's the idiot here because she thought about nothing, you know, all the, the, the caps on the energy bills. Now, she was warned by financial institutions at the time, by analysts at the time, not to do this because it would kill uh, the competitive markets, and that's exactly what happened. She was told the consumers would pay the price in the end. That's exactly what's happening now. So Theresa May has done a lot more damage in her tenure than Boris ever did. Belinda de Lucy, do you agree? Uh, yeah, completely. I, I think these sort of eco-zealots or posh hippies or whatever you like to call them, so eager to slap their green lovey levies on the less well-off to fund their sort of middle-class mm -hmm. hobby of climate change at well, the look moment. Look at Davey. Well, exactly. He, he, he's he proud claims of he's so proud that we're in this place. But what I don't understand is, is that I think, wait at least until the economy yeah. is booming. And if, and if you're wealthy enough, it's called green privilege in my book, if you're wealthy mm. enough to rise above the wave of the fundamental crises that are hitting normal, ordinary people, like, you know, energy crisis, NHS waiting lists, crime, if you are privileged enough not to have to worry about those things, that you can spend your hours worrying about, you know, I don't know, rain levels or, or polar bears or whatever good for you do it on your own yeah. time with your own like money green privilege it is green privilege well, like what, is, what is the new boiler these eco boilers going to cost people 15 grand mm. people have bought electric cars because they thought they were helping the environment we now discover that because of what's happening with the energy that electric cars are going to become as expensive to run as petrol yeah. cars so people who have actually tried decent ordinary people mm. have actually tried to help the environment mm. they're getting kicked in the face now I financially know. and benjamin then you think about our lives, the lives of ordinary folk, and we are being preached to by someone like that eco-hypocrite <laughs> in chief, Prince Harry, who takes an electric car to take him to a private jet, which makes absolutely no sense, <laughs> then in a gas-guzzling big car, his polo kit, and folk like him have the cheek to tell us to stop travelling. Well, I'm not going to listen to folk like him anymore. Well, I'm afraid if you think I'm going to defend Prince Harry doing that, then then I'm not. Because I don't think you should. No, and I'm going because I think that's... It, it's I mean, a disgrace, isn't it, it? It blows my mind, actually. And there's been quite a few stories recently where people have used plane tracking facilities to mm. see what some celebrities yeah. who are saying the right thing, in like my Kylie view, about Jen. tackling climate change. Meanwhile, you can see what they're doing in their, in mm. their personal decisions. I mean, the, ha the example you give of Prince Harry, I mean, it blew my mind. What, I mean, why would you put your polo kit in a different... in a car when you're in the plane? That <laughs> make, it's just unbelievable. But it's not bizarre. the sharpest crayon in it, the box. It's lavish, it's wasteful. Not but least, then when he gave that conference at the UN about climate change. He stood there at the UN and talked about it. And I think that's entirely valid. And, and people, you know, that feel the cost of it should be annoyed at that. You know, you had Elon Musk who, who went a couple of miles by plane. I mean, it's just unbelievably bizarre and selfish. But that doesn't mean that the rest of us and that governments and that countries, big countries like ours economically, that we shouldn't be doing our part. So are you happy to eat insects and never travel again? Because trust me, Benjamin, that's, that's where this is heading. Mm. Well, I actually quite like insects. <laughs> They're rather nice, but you know, that, that's a choice that Not people... Surprised there. That's a choice that people can make. And actually, as someone that lives in, in, in a big city, I, you know, rarely... 
you know, I don't drive and I get public transport. In fact, I walk most places, so I'm happy you to You fly do that. around the world all the time, though. I you do fly. to give that up? I do fly, although I always take the thing to, uh, to, to build a few trees to, and they, to and, make and it they've better. said that you, there's not enough tree... You, there's not, you couldn't plant enough trees on the planet to stop what's happening with, with mm. carbon monoxide. So that's, that's irrelevant. That's but just something that celebrities say so they can fly around the world in a private jet. Like you, but, part <laughs> of the elite, feel better. But the, that's idea, what it's about. the idea that it's green energy that is the problem that has caused the situation we're in at the moment is farcical because actually ultimately what we have is no a supply shortage of energy and but only, do you think only we are ready as a country to hit net zero by 2050 without damning the underprivileged in society to total catastrophe well the truth is that when you have economic problems, economic downfall, which is what would happen if we don't tackle climate change, it'll be the poorest and the most vulnerable. You know, as we speak, 30 million people are threatened with floods in Pakistan because of climate change. And so where's the reality... Your, sorry, 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 where's your proof it's to do with... The climate, climate change then? minister of Pakistan, who said that earlier okay, today... Well, of course he's going to offset the blame. He's talking about wanting to get donations from other countries. That's... Mm. Maybe that's what... Well, we, can't, we, we shouldn't the let the government of get acting, off. And that's why we have to take Belinda, responsibility. Yeah, yeah, sorry. This is something that I find really difficult, Belinda. Any time... There is now a weather emergency. By the way, my heart goes out to the people of Pakistan. That is terrible. But we have had bad weather events, yeah. Belinda de Lucy. Well, it's called climate cycles as well. There's such a thing as climate cycles. Weather does have its sort of ebbs and flows and peaks and troughs. It is normal. And I'm, I'm like you. I would love, I want to save the planet. I take plastic out of our seas when I'm swimming and I see it. I teach all my kids to be environmentally friendly. But this is enough. It's a very privileged, elitist, class-dividing yeah. thing that's going on at the moment. How is it but elitist we to let... say that the people of Pakistan we should be under no evidence for that. But what, but what is it? But we mustn't let, we mustn't let the government off scot-free. They have made terrible decisions in the past. They have not planned for an energy crisis and they say we didn't know about Russia. Yes, they, they could have... Uh... Well, Carol, how do you feel about Boris Johnson mm. uh, saying, actually, we've got to stick to net zero, the Ukrainians, mm. they're paying for Putin's war in blood, so we just have to cop it. We've just got to cop it with high energy bills. Do you really well, agree with that? I, I think, you know, this is a man who said, you know, before when he was um, voted out, he wasn't going to make any decisions. I think this is his last gasp as Prime Minister, probably with a little bit of a nudge from his wife as well, um, who was, we know is very keen on all this. So, you know, he, he can't be saying that now. He's not the one who's got to deal with the consequences of what that means. And, you know, it, it, you know exactly what Belinda says, you know, we're, we're all very aware, but we are, we are entering a period that is unprecedented in our history now. To pay one and a half trillion or two trillion quid a year every single year between now and 2050. How in God's name are we going to do that when there's people in this country who are going to die this winter because they're going to be I cold? I think it's unforgivable. So it, it is un we, we have to deal with that first. And, and I know people like you will say, climate change, we have to deal with that too. That's really important. But this is happening right yeah, this And second. we are. We are. We are dealing with it. We're one of the best countries in the world for dealing Aren't with it. Aren't we, Benjamin? We're dealing with it. We're doing enough. What uh, well, percent of global not, emissions? We're not doing enough. We need to meet the net zero. We're not doing enough. So, oh, because one percent of global emissions, that's what we produce. But do you know what? I don't think that you should tell others what to do when you don't do that yourself. We are doing and it. And so if we're to have moral leadership on this in the world, then we have to act ourselves if countries like the US and China are to follow. OK. Well, as long as you stick to your pledge <laughs> to eat the insects yeah. and to never don't fly... Enjoy your green here. privilege. Where did you go on holiday <laughs> last week right. again, by the way? Kurdistan. Well, oh, that's a long way away. That's a big <laughs> one. I went, I went horse, I went horse riding in the country. You the didn't horse ride over to Kurdistan. You got the plane. That was oh, definitely a, a low emission holiday. Be careful what you wish for, because 
If you're not careful, you're going to see the life that you enjoy taken away for future generations because of this green... Don't country. worry, the boomers have already taken away the life... That oh, here we go. Oh, oh, We're not getting into that. Benjamin Butterworth, Carol Malone, Belinda <laughs> Lucy. That was the last week's debate. <laughs>
It costs our nation and many other nations many, many millions of pounds, million, sorry, billions of pounds, billions of pounds, even more in the USA and in some other countries. And obesity is not something that should be glorified and celebrated. It's a health issue. It leads to many other health issues. And I think that is the fundamental problem. So, Lizzo, would you use her as an example of that glorification of being overweight, Zubi? Yes, I do think that that is an example. I think it's one thing saying that people should not hate themselves and people should have, um, you know, people should have a level of confidence. But there's a line between having confidence and having a matter of self-pride and self-esteem and outright glorification of something that is unhealthy. This is not coming from any point of hate or aggression. This is coming from a place of wanting people to improve themselves. It's coming from a place of actual love and compassion and truly caring about people, not merely their feelings, but their actual health. And obesity is not something that is healthy. Eva Believer, you think that it's completely wrong to fat shame anyone. Why? Well, first of all, hi to everyone. Nice to meet you, Zubi. And nice to see you again, Steve. <laughs> so, first of all, I would like to say that any type um, of shaming is actually really bad for you because I, I don't know anyone, personally me, that um, achieved any results or any positive changes in their lives just because they were shamed. I mean, I faced in my life, it was nothing um, related to body issues or fat shaming, but I had a professor while I was studying opera who admitted in the end that she was using the method of shaming, of putting someone down. So she thought that people like bamboos, they will go through, they will grow and they will prove that, wow, it's wrong, I can do better. But you know, at the end, she lost all of her students because everybody had mental break and they lost their voices. So imagine with fat shaming, when it comes to your body, I wanted to tell you, I just remembered now, there is a very famous doctor who has a talk show, I think in America, my mom is obsessed with him because the show is um, also in Lithuania, on Lithuanian TV. And um, he said one time, one very correct thing, the hunger comes from your head from your heart and from your stomach. If all of us would eat to satisfy the hunger that comes from our stomach, we would never be yeah. fat. Okay, good point, good point. Well, I want to put that to Steve Miller because Steve, you are very harsh on folk who are overweight. Is that not a point that Eva Believer has actually? A lot of the reasons for people eating is down to emotions. It's down to being unhappy. And so if you just tell them, oh, you're fat, actually, they feel more unhappy, Steve. Well, I'm going to take issue with what you're saying now, because I don't think I'm harsh at all. I think I'm straight talking. <laughs> I, think I, I think I tell the truth. Look, I and like actually, straight talkers. Actually, I like straight yes. talkers, Steve. And actually, <laughs> this, I, 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 and, and anyone that knows me will see I put an arm around my people a lot. And you will have seen that on my TV show. However, 
We have become a nation of fat shaming squealers. And I'm fed up to the back teeth of it because you only have to say, I like salad these days and you're called a fat shamer. You know, cancer research for putting out the warning about uh, being too fat can, can trigger cancer. It's the second biggest trigger of cancers now. They were called fat shamers for doing that. So I think we've got to understand mm. that we've gone a little bit too far over the boundary. And what we've got to do is actually get a bit more real. The University of East Anglia did some research on this and found that we are beginning to normalise fat. And as Zuby quite rightly says, breath of fresh air, I have to say, mm -hmm. um, is absolutely right. We've got to get more honest with people. And for the people okay. out there that call me a fat shamer, I have two words for you. The first one is fat and the second one is off. Fat off. <laughs> Zuby, what is fat shaming then? Because how do you fat shame in a way that is actually going to make a difference for someone? Yeah, I think maybe the term fat shaming itself has become mired in too much. Uh, I think it's interpreted too differently by different people. And I think that when people use the word shame, people are conflating it with some type of bullying or aggression or attacking. And that's not what I'm talking about. What we are discussing is that there are certain behaviors that human beings do. I think we'd all agree, if we're being honest, there are behaviors that human beings do that should be shamed, right? Not everything should be accepted, let alone or nor tolerated by society. And we all know that it's not good for people to be using hard drugs. We know that it's not good to be binge drinking excessively. It's not good to smoke tons of cigarettes excessively. These are all bad behaviors and people don't feel any type of way about shaming people for smoking, right? That's simply letting them know that what they're doing is not healthy, it's not conducive to their life. And that's something that you should tell people. You shouldn't shy away from telling a good friend or telling someone that it's unhealthy to smoke or unhealthy to do hard drugs. Yeah, but they know that. You're they that know that. And they mm -hmm. make a decision to keep doing it for their lives. And as a libertarian, I might disagree yes. with that decision, but I'm going to accept that they smoke as long as it has nothing to do with me. I mean, look, Steve, Steve, Steve Miller, you've got Eva Believer here, right? Now, she's made her career out of being a plus-size model. Maybe a few years ago, she wouldn't have had this career. W would you want to fat shame Eva? Would you say that Eva shouldn't be happy with, with her you... weight? I don't know. Eva's lovely. I love Eva. I know I've got to know Eva through GB News. But the one thing I would say with the catwalk, we've we've actually gone from the catwalk to the fat walk, haven't we? Because everything seems to be these days about plus size models and fat models on the front of magazines. So, so, I so think you don't think right. Eva Hang deserves on, to be on a catwalk? Hang on, let me let me finish. Let me finish the point. And Zuby's right. It's not about hating people. It's still about loving people, but it's about saying we cannot continue to glorify it in the manner we no, I know. are. No, Steve, I get that. I get that. I get that. But this is a debate, Steve. Steve, Steve, let me come in. Let me come in. I understand the philosophical point you and Zubi are making. What I'm trying to understand, remember, I'm someone who battles with my weight. So what I'm actually trying to understand is the practical nature of this. How do you want to deal with people who are overweight? Do you want to say to Eva Believer, you should not be doing your job because
because you're too fat. Do you understand what I mean? Because we're saying fat shaming should exist in society. OK, how? Do you just go up to a random fat person on the street and say you need to lose weight? How does this work in practice, Steve? Because you've got Eva Believer here. She's a plus-size model. How do you deal with her? I think it's about balance. And what we do with plus-size models, many of which I, I get on with extremely well, is we make it clear to them and we encourage them to put over the message that being this fat, and it is called fat, right, is not healthy. Because if we don't, we're going to nurture a society in the United Kingdom where it becomes the norm for everyone to sort of hang okay. around and sing if you're happy. And no, you're I understand you've been upfront about it. You've been upfront about it. So I want to give the final word to Eva Believer. So, Eva, Steve's saying, look, I like you, I get on with you. Uh, but I think you're fat and I don't think you should be on the catwalk or the fat walk, as he calls it. How do you respond, Eva? Well, first of all, let's start from the fact that catwalk is not to glorify fat people. The catwalk is just the event for fashion to show what clothes plus size people can buy. At this moment, maybe tomorrow they're going to lose weight, but today they need to dress somehow, isn't it? So I don't want to be um, glorifying Victoria's Secret that says that plus size now will be done uh, for her brand and it's going to end up at size 18 UK, which, excuse me, it's not true because size plus only starts at 18. So just to tell you something, dear Steve, you know, um, I've been on the show before, so probably people who are watching it now, they know my story. I lost seven stones sometimes in my life and I put everything back, but I must say people who were born slim and maybe they are lazy to go to gym or whatever, eating unhealthy. This is one thing, but when you're born um, of one stone weight and you have had your past related to health problems and all that, I think being of my size and being super healthy and fit, because I go to gym three times a week, I swim in a pool every Sunday, today I was exhausted. It's absolutely okay. I am size 22 UK and you can say, oh, she's fat because this is plus size. But if you see me walking on the beach 17 miles in one day, you will be surprised. You won't walk with me because I'm really fit. Okay. No, I, I understand. I understand. And I'm this really is a fascinating debate. My skin is glowing. And okay. let me tell you this. Okay, final I, word, I have Eva. a very close person who is size 10 and has high cholesterol, high sugar. <laughs> terrible, <laughs> and I bet you love to see that. Eva Believer, plus size model, thank you so much. Point. Thank you too to rapper and podcaster Zuby. We'll speak soon, Zuby. And weight loss expert, the founder of Fatnosis, Steve Miller. So who do you agree with? Should fat shaming be encouraged? to get the nation into shape. Well, from Jules on Twitter, some people have medical illnesses that make losing weight very difficult. These people have already felt horrible, struggling with illnesses and medication that could cause weight gain. Making fun of them is cruel. From Sean, it helps the person who is getting teased and shamed by not only encouraging them to lose weight, but also shutting the bullies up too. And from Tobias, we promote unhealthy body shapes in fear of being cancelled and chastised. It's pathetic. Your verdict is now in. This is interesting. Quite divided. Two-thirds of you, 67%, saying that fat shaming should be encouraged to get the nation in shape. 33% of you with Eva Believer there. Love that.
Welcome back. Neil Oliver is coming up next, but it's time now for our positive professor, Carol Sakura. And the US Open kicked off today without the biggest star in tennis, three times winner Novak Djokovic. Joe Biden's government proved it certainly wasn't following the fabled science when it refused to drop its discriminatory vaccine mandate for international travellers, leaving Novak preposterously banned from entering the country. The Serbian's fierce rivals, Rafa Nadal and uh, Dani Medvedev, both expressed their disappointment at his absence, suggesting fans who paid top dollar to watch the event were being shortchanged. Now, Novak has to be praised for sticking by his guns and forfeiting the chance to become the most lauded tennis player ever. But many fans and medical experts remain outraged at the government's nonsensical stance to keep their ridiculous jab mandate enforced. Professor Carol Sakura was one of the thousands who slammed the decision, saying it's outrageous that Djokovic is banned from playing in New York because of his choice not to take the vaccine. They may be rules, but the rules are unscientific and wrong. Now, Carol, look, the US updated its domestic COVID advice earlier this month to treat the unvaccinated exactly the same as the vaccinated. And even four jabs, Joe Biden got the disease twice recently. So on what basis is the government still banning unvaccinated travellers to America, especially a civil rights hero like Novak Djokovic? It is ridiculous, Dan. It just is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the problem, of course, is once you've got rules, you've got to apply to everybody. So you can't say Djokovic is someone special and therefore we've got to make exemptions just because he plays tennis. That, that would be wrong to do that. But when you look around the world, everywhere you go, it's different. And who is making the decisions? That's what I don't understand. I was in Italy this weekend, and there you have to wear masks on certain trains. Not all trains, but certain trains. This is just stupidity gone mad. Uh, there is scientific It's the same for uh, Novak. I and mean, for goodness sake, let him play. It's an important tournament, but you can't make exemptions. I tell you what, though. Diplomats get exemptions. They don't get asked for anything. You have your diplomatic passport. I used to have one when I worked for the WHO. You get asked for nothing. And these guys get away with it. But if you're someone like Djokovic, high profile, you have to have it. No, I completely agree. There shouldn't be uh, ex ex exemptions. But, Carol, the rule shouldn't be in place at all, should it? I mean, there's no Absolutely. scientific fact. To, to, to back this up. It, it is outrageous. It really is that uh, different countries are making different rules. The WHO is so weak. It doesn't say, look, stop it, people. Let's have a standard rule for everybody about testing, about quarantine, about whether you can come into a country or not. This is just absolute stupidity. And it's going on too long. I mean, COVID is over. I mean, I can't get over that. It's COVID is no longer a big public health problem. But of course, a lot of people have made a lot of money out of it. The pharma industry, the vaccine makers, the, the people that make all the protective clothing. And it's very difficult to get us out of it. We've got to come out of it. Sure, people have died and it's sad. But on the whole, we're out of it now and we've got to get back to normal. And the sooner we can normalise it, including high-profile things like tennis tournaments, become normal, it's really important. Yeah, and we certainly have to stop 
the discrimination against people who have made a perfectly acceptable choice not to have a medical procedure, because that's human rights, Carol. Last time I checked, maybe Joe Biden exactly. needs to look into what human rights actually mean. It's the same with mask wearing. It's the same about social distancing. You are your own boss. You can decide what you do. And it's up to you. We don't need announcements every two minutes on the trains telling us what we have to do. We need to just make our own minds up. If you want to wear a mask, by all means, wear it. I don't mind. But please don't impose your wishes on other people. Carol Sikora, as ever, you put it perfectly, Carol. And hopefully Djokovic uh, is not going to be banned anywhere soon. One thing's for certain, he will be on the right side of history when it comes to civil rights. Carol Sikora, our positive professor, thank you so much. We'll speak next week. Tomorrow's newspaper front page is just around the corner. But first, Neil Oliver is tonight's outsider. Widespread fury has continued over Tory leadership hopeful Fishy Rishi Sunak's revelation that crucial minutes from SAGE meetings during the pandemic were edited to remove dissenting views as he blew the whistle on the lockdown madness two years too late, in my opinion, in an extraordinary interview with The Spectator. That prompted top barrister and legal commentator Francis Hall to write of the former Chancellor's revelations. This is absolutely shocking. If this is true, then those responsible, and it is reasonable to suppose that Witty and Valance were at least a where should face a criminal investigation for misconduct in public office. Now, Neil Oliver, Sunak made clear he wasn't pointing the finger at individuals, but do you think there should be a criminal investigation into the lockdown cover-up? Definitely. Uh, the country's been lied to uh, over and over again, uh, not just about uh, COVID and the pandemic and, and the rest, but the, the same people who, who lied to us about all of that are, are lying to us still and lying to us now about a whole other raft of things to do with energy prices and, and, and climate and, and all the rest. But if, if Rishi Sunak is, is correct, if he's telling the truth, if dissenting voices uh, and comments were edited out of minutes which were then passed to to government and 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 it shaped decisions that that uh, put us on the path to the ruinous lockdowns uh, you know the, the the total damage of which is yet to be experienced far less paid for if that is what happened then we were lied to we were told lies the the government was lied to and then we as as people were lied to we were we were tricked into lockdowns. The lockdowns were perpetuated long after so many sage advisors, and I don't mean the, the, the special advisor group, I mean wise people were saying uh, that the, the lockdowns were ruinous. And the fact that they were uh, maintained and sustained uh, on the basis of lies means that, yes, there have to be criminal investigations. And if, if, if people are found to have been, you know, lying while in public office, then jail time should be the consequence. Neil, if only there were some sage advisors on sage and maybe we actually would not be in the mess we're in today. But now, what do you make of Rishi Sunak trying to present himself now as some sort of anti-lockdown hero 
when he was the second most powerful person in government as these ruinous lockdowns destroyed millions of lives. I cannot believe that he thinks, or that perhaps he's taking advice from a team, I don't know, that his team thinks that this is believable or credible in any way. Uh, you know, Bev Turner monologued on the same subject. Other people have said similar things, but you know, I would just reiterate that it's obvious to anyone that if he had been a person of principle, he would have walked out. He would have walked away from those meetings once he determined that he was that his comments were being ignored and and deleted, and that a, a false uh, version of events was being was being passed to government. He would have hot-footed it to the nearest television studio, and there he would have said that his job was not as important as the truth. He didn't do any of those things. He kept his head down. Uh, he did what he was told. He, he's only acting now out of political expediency. And to be honest with you, Dan, it's it's the it's the triumph of expediency, including political expediency, that's got us into the mess that we're in now. It's in it's true of government. It's true of the institutions. Uh, it's true of the church. P people aren't and haven't been for a long time acting out of heartfelt, strongly held principles and convictions. They just look at a situation, decide what's best for them, what will enable them or their political party or their organisation or their corporation best to survive and thrive. So they act out of political expediency. And that, and that Rishi Sunak thinks that he's going to gain anybody's favour uh, by saying, you know, I was I was drumming my fists on the on the table, but no one would listen to me. But in any event, I just kept my mouth shut and went along with it, uh, while I knew, as the second most powerful person in government, uh, that the country was about to be driven off of a cliff. It, it, it would have been better if he said nothing of the sort. He he can only have made he can only have made it uh, even more clear what sort of person he actually is, which is to say, a person of no principle, a person of no conviction, a person who is completely hollow and is motivated always and only by political expediency, which translates as what's best for Rishi today. Well, indeed, Neil, I completely agree with that. I think the bloke is a globalist droid. And I think for me, this interview actually has posed so many more questions that we now need to demand more answers for, because I don't know if you saw, Neil, he said, oh, the script was written when he was talking about the fair campaign and what the country was going to be put through. Well, who was the script written by, Neil? Uh, is he referring to the World Health Organization? Is he referring to the World Economic Forum? We need to know, because at the end of the day, Valance and Witty don't write the script. They advise the government. So who is writing the script? Well, exactly, Dan. That, that was the stuff. That was another uh, claim that a lot of us were making, an assertion that a lot of us were making, myself included, that it was too convenient that all of these people all across Europe, all around the world, were, were using the same language all the time, narrow windows of opportunity, build back better, and all the rest of it. And we said, many of us, that this, this is a script. These people are a, a, are a choir, uh, and they're all singing from the same hymn sheet. And, and that assertion by so many of us was shouted down as, as a conspiracy theory. But there we have it in, in Rishi Sunak's own words, that there was a script written. But the, the most fundamental problem here is it, it's plain to everyone, as I say, that we were being lied to. 
we were being lied to because the lockdown was being imposed not because it had anything to do with public health. It was never about public health. COVID presented an opportunity to bring forth plans which had been a long time being laid down. COVID lit the blue touch paper to bring forward a larger plan, which was about uh, which was about fear and control. Now that is being exposed bit by bit, but more and more every day. We know that we were lied to. Now, if we do not see a reckoning, if there is not, if people aren't held to account, if there isn't a criminal investigation, and where appropriate criminal prosecutions for what was done to us, then they will be emboldened. They're already emboldened because other other governments all across the world were telling the same lies to the to their people for the same reasons. And if all of these people are allowed to get away with that, in, in plain sight, if it's simply nodded through that, yes, we lied, yes, we did all these things because we wanted to apply fear and control, and now we're going to apply the same tactics so that we can get our way about energy, so that we can get our way about climate and all of the rest of it, we have to act now. We cannot let them away with what they did during the COVID pandemic, because if we do... We will only have ourselves to blame for watching repeat after repeat after repeat of the same tactics again and again and again. Powerfully and perfectly put as ever. Neil Oliver, thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. Tomorrow's news tonight now in our media buzz. Let's take a first look at tomorrow's newspaper front pages now hot off the press. Last orders for pubs leads the metro as brewery bosses warn that thousands of pubs will shut forever unless governments step in to help with skyrocketing fuel bills. Bosses at six of the country's biggest pub chains say many are confronting a 300% increase on pre-pandemic running costs. And you know this is a story we're very passionate, passionate about here on this show and we will be continuing to cover throughout the week. The Eye reports that Liz Truss has said she will not reveal full details of her cost of living plan until she is PM, as she has not had, quote, data and information from the Treasury. It's a wild British red alert, says the Daily Star. According to the paper, poisonous false widow spiders are invading our homes, while snakes that were dumped because they became too expensive to care for are now also on the loose. Goodness me, fangs can only get better, right? Now my superstar panel back with me, Top Daily Express Connors Carol Malone, senior reporter for the I newspaper Benjamin Butterworth and former MEP campaigner and political commentator Belinda De Lucy. Now, two moments that went viral at Pride celebrations over the weekend have once again proved that it's the left who are becoming increasingly intolerant in society. First in Manchester, Labour frontbench Lucy Powell was accused of stirring up division after posing in a T-shirt that claimed she, quote, never kissed a Tory. The party's shadow culture secretary was told to grow up by critics after boasting online about pulling the stunt. Tory MP Diana Davison, who came out as bisexual last year, said it was juvenile. Far more shocking, though, was a group of lesbians in Cardiff who were removed from a Pride march because they were gender-critical feminists who dared to question basic biology. 
Watch as a police officer tells the group to leave the area or be forcibly removed by cops as trans extremists confront them with foul-mouthed abuse. At the moment, your march, this group of people, yep. is causing confrontation between different groups of people, We're okay? We're Whatever you are pride, at the moment is causing confrontation. I want to make sure I understand that you are removing lesbians from like LGBT march. Yes, that what is what's doing. happening. I mean, Belinda Lucy, so much going on there. But fundamentally to me, what all of this shows is actually it's the left in society now who have become intolerant. They're actually the new Puritans. Well, I think the progressive left is more dangerous in this country than the far right. Mm. I think the far right quite rightly gets called out, gets ring-fenced as far away from power as it can be. The progressive left is extremist ideology. It has infiltrated our public sector. We can see how much it's infected our police, that they're removing lesbians from a pride event for just wanting same-sex relationships. And I think it's a real worry because the progressive left isn't just about denying reality and peddling lies. It is about, you know, you, you see the, for example, paedophiles being called minor attracted people now, you, you, you know, to sanitise paedophilia. You get um, uh, drag queens reading story times to children. This is all progressive liberal left infiltrating our society. And, and, I, and I worry <coughs> because it's too near power. And um, what happened at that Pride event in, uh, in Cardiff was an absolute a travesty for lesbians because they are being now demanded of by trans women to accept male-identifying trans as partners mm. or they're bigots. I mean, Carol Malone, it was really terrifying, wasn't well, it? Well, you, you know, I don't know whether... I couldn't hear probably, but the, the coppers actually said to, to those lesbian women, we're going to remove you because you are going to get hurt. Well, why not remove the people who were going to hurt them, not yeah. them? You know, it was... As Belinda says, that was a Pride march. Those, those ladies had every right to be there. Mm. And if Pride isn't supporting gay people, what the hell is it for? But I just... You know, it's, you know we're told all the time in terms of the trans ideal, that you know we have to we have to you know we can't walk in their shoes and we can't we can't question their lived experience so we can't criticize them we can't make any comment because we haven't lived their experience so when when a lesbian woman when a lesbian of course they're, they're women when a, when a lesbian says that she feels that her rights are being eroded that her her very status is being eroded by trans people we have to listen to them because we're not walking in their shoes and we're not listening it's it's it, what you just said and i just want to reiterate this that that there's a now a faction of trans activists who are saying that lesbians who aren't attracted and wouldn't have sex with trans women are transphobes. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they're now yeah, they being are. told who they have to have sex with. That was behind the whole Alison Bailey By outbreak. the Trans Brigade, which Indeed. I find and, and outrageous. And Benjamin Butterworth, that's your group in society. This is what you are doing to lesbian women. How do you explain yourself? First of all, obviously, you can be attracted to whoever you wish to be attracted to. So that last... Well, is it transphobic? Is it transphobic? Of course it's... For a lesbian woman to say that they're not attracted to a no, trans woman. Of course it's not. People can be attracted to whatever description of person... OK, good, I'm glad we agree on that, to. because folk have lost their job for saying just and, that. And, you know, of course, 99% of the lesbian or bisexual women or whatever do not agree with 
those handful of, of women that were protesting, but the issue wasn't there. How do you know that? Well, I was Where did that? Why would you say that? Because I've just spent the last three or four days at Manchester's Pride and you know, the support was overwhelming, but also the problem wasn't their views. Well, probably, support for what? Probably because, probably because the lesbian women and the people who feel like I do about the gay community, we can no longer go to an event like the one that you've just been at because we will be attacked by trans extremists, the nasty, intolerant, puritanical left. Well, I'll tell you who's nasty and intolerant. It's bigoted Belinda, who again just called trans people paedophiles. Why did what? you do no, that? I didn't. What? I said progressive you left. Said, you just said that it now includes... that we're the describing no, paedophiles no. as minor attractive people. I said the no, progressive left no, did that. Not. I didn't say she trans did, people actually. did that. You're a liar, Belinda. Oh, my gosh! I said the progressive left... Where they're going is a real threat to society because they are liberalising so bring much. Why did you paedophiles into, into progressive? About trans I literally people. said progressive left. No, not said, not trans. You said you were asked about trans people. But we're talking said, about no, no, no. But no, we're, we're talking about the puritanical because, yeah. because left. Because Belinda oh keeps talking about paedophiles when asked about the rights of gay. No, trans that is people. not true. And what and you do? That's the bigoted What, what you do is a total disservice to the trans community. Many who just want to get on with their private life, but the yeah, extremists, the gender extremists, have hijacked their community and they're scaring women and children. They're destroying boundaries that women have for their vulnerable spaces. They're demanding women let males into every single area of their lives it's if they claim that there are women. I, I'm sorry, but you are totally disconnected from women. You, you seem to have an issue with women. You call women bigots for highlighting concerns yeah. that we I have. I call you a bigot where, where, for calling trans but, and gay people paedophiles oh my God. for the second time. But you keep... Uh, not only did I not do that, but is that your so only argument to apologize? make up lies? Well, actually, to try, is that your argument? Actually, you know, as any gay person is aware, it is one of the oldest, nastiest slurs to bring paedophilia into Benjamin, our Benjamin, rights. Benjamin, can and I... That's what but, she, but, no, I was talking about some aggressive left. But, but, but Belinda herself. was speaking about this new... What has paedophiles got to do with Because it's this... It's yeah. this new the progressive move left. Just for the progressive left Benjamins yeah. to describe paedophiles as okay. So, but do you accept? Do you accept that describing paedophiles as minor attracted people is incredibly dangerous? And we all need. Yes, we it's all need up. to say that that is a terrible thing. Yes, and she makes it up because she... she's a bigot who wants to undermine LGBT people, and that's why she keeps mentioning mentioning paedophiles well, when not talking about up. gay and trans people. I, right. I was people are not made up. It's a story that's in the news right now. There is no movement among LGBT activists, among the progressive left or the progressive right to defend paedophiles, and it is pure bigotry. What's a shame you have to it. resort to abuse and insulting you terms? You just called gay people pedos. I, I'm sorry, but I mean you can watch it back. This is absolutely ridiculous. And you know what? I would never call you names. Benjamin, 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 I'm so sad to see paedophiles in a debate about trans I'm talking about the progressive left. Belinda did not call gay people paedophiles. She, she just sat she there. Really I just want to stick to the. Yes, please, can we stick to the argument? I just want to stick to the paedophiles. I just want to stick to What has my right to a trans person's rights got to do with paedophiles? I had mentioned no connection, but I do say this, and this is in the news all the time. Pathetic. that the self-identifying, supporting uh, left, progressive left, say that any man who says he's a woman gets absolutely deemed a woman in law and women should accept men as women. Why did you say that women. the progressive left and LGBT activists defend I paedophiles? I didn't say LGBT activists. You I did. said the progressive le left are a threat to our, the fabric of our society, which I 100% stick with. You apologise for bringing Because I have four children and I see the what they're exposed to. Do you know what, Carol, Carol, Carol you'll be watching this. Do you want to come Do you know what, I, mean, I didn't hear her say that. To, to be, but what, what I will say is, do you accept that lesbians feel that they are being marginalised and that they 
they're being erased by the trans movement, by the aggressive trans movement. There's a minority of, of lesbians that feel that way, and we see that in the protest. But the thing in that video is that they weren't told not to protest. They were told not to disrupt the Pride They mark. were told? And that's the same as... You the guy always, said we're going to remove you. Always you. Have, you always have Christian uh, anti-gay activists at them, and they get but a then, section to protest the next copper, to the march. The copper that's what in they Wales, were welcome to have. The they copper just in Wales said... Experience. The copper in that's Wales fine. said... That doesn't give you a right. If you're a lesbian or a gay person that opposes gay rights, and they exist, why? you don't get to be in a gay rights march. Let's just, let's oh, just answer oh. the question. The, the lesbian that were told that were being removed by those coppers there that are on their screen safety. right now. They were being told they were removed from there for their safety. Why not remove the people who were endangering their safety? Because 99% of LGBT people support trans rights. No, no, not the 99%. Right. You're just the people that popper just said were endangering Benjamin, their Benjamin, safety. we all support trans rights. You don't. I absolutely no, do. You don't. I absolutely you sit here do. And you, you bring out nasty stuff like that and debates like this to inflame that's not, that's, that's, that's real. You don't give a no, I think damn he was pointing at me. People. That's well, real. What you just wrong. saw is real. Don't bring it out and making it up. It happened. You've got issues majority, with women. The vast Benjamin. majority of, of le well, you, oh, God, you're vile. The vast majority of lesbians and bisexual You've got to women stop this. support trans people's rights, and those people were entitled to protest, they just weren't entitled okay. to disrupt well, everyone else. What we're actually so trying why, to do... Why, on you, why, will, why at London Pride this year were the lesbians who held the placards up that said lesbians don't have penises, why were they abused at the march? They're entitled, like the anti-gay Christian entitled. activists, to have, entitled. to have something at the but side. But they were abused, they, they were abused and threatened. of the quote-unquote community which has been torn apart well, by the intolerant the left. Actually, because if you don't support LGBT rights, then you don't have a right but to be do, But LGBT it's not about equal mark. rights, it's about special rights that they want. This is where you're, you're wrong. We all support trans rights. Who wouldn't? I support anyone you vulnerable. You just started talking but about paedophiles. And what's to do with the progressive left, Stop which this. I stand by? She'll never apologise. Well, well, I don't know what you're talking rubbish. It'd be interesting what if we watch that back. What with paedophiles? I was literally talking about the threat of the progressive left, and What's unfortunately... What's that got to do with paedophiles? Well, so, hang on. If unfortunately, you said it, no you one provoked you. There's evidence to everywhere. No one, no one else you don't want a conversation. No what, one else mentioned paedophiles. What happens if we, we were talking what about the intolerant watch, left, and I actually condoned it progressive. And you're an intolerant bigot when you say things like that. Hang on. What happens if we watch this back and she didn't say that? She was asked about trans rights, and she said... They now Talk about the intolerant in left, her words, actually. minor attracted uh, adults, okay. whatever it was. Well, look, that uh, is disgusting let's and that is bigotry. It. Let's no. leave it. Benjamin, it's the only answer to everything. You're a bigot if you don't agree with me. It's you very are a boring bigot, and Belinda. very childish. And unfortunately, this is what the intolerant left is now doing. It's standing up for people's rights when they're attacked by media like this. Now, the eco-terrorists that just stop oil remain in the tunnels they burrowed near Gray's Oil Depot in Essex and are putting lives at risk in the name of their unhinged green agenda. Their pernicious protest had meant the vital road which oil tankers used to enter the depot and help keep our country running had been closed for almost a week, but today police finally reopened the road and arrested several of the mob pitched above ground. However, the selfish green ghouls who dug tunnels so that the road became too unstable for the lorries to travel over remain underground, threatening our critical infrastructure as the country faces an energy catastrophe and cost of lockdown crisis. Instead of doing the right thing and dragging these eco-fascists out of the tunnels, our woke police force continue to treat them with kid gloves, negotiating with them instead of treating them as the criminals they blatantly are. Look. We are currently blocking tankers on St Clement's Way. We have got a tunnel just going underneath 
this railway bridge. We've been doing everything we can to get this road shut down and we've been told that it's more important that oil continues to flow even if a heavy goods vehicle driver dies. Um, as it is at the minute they're not confirming that they will not reopen the road and it is your, up to you to take care of your own safety so if you feel unsafe you have to you should come out okay and I'll say what I said to the other guy when I hear anything I'll then come back to you and give you any updates. I don't understand. We cannot allow these eco-terrorists to keep putting lives at risk. And we certainly shouldn't be negotiating with them when they are literally conducting criminal damage of our national infrastructure. The new Home Secretary must make Just Stop Oil a prescribed terrorist organisation. That is what they are, and the police need to get a bloody grip and put an end to this madness. Welcome back. Now, Tory anger at the undemocratic ousting of Boris Johnson is threatening to boil over as the leadership race reaches its final stretch. According to the Sunday Times, MPs are suffering sellers' remorse and even considering lodging letters of no confidence against PM frontrunner Liz Truss as soon as she gets into office with the hope of Boris returning. On top of this, a petition started by former party treasurer Lord Crudus demanding a veto on whether to accept Boris's resignation may be close to succeeding, with organisers reckoning they are just hundreds of votes away from the threshold needed to force a change in the party's constitution. The discontent is showing in the polls too, with an opinion survey revealing the party has slumped to second place behind Labour, with 63% of Tories preferring Boris over Liz, and is forcing Tory grassroots members to take matters into their own hands. My next guest, Patrick Stoner, has formed an action group called the Alliance of Conservative Voters, which is fighting to give ordinary members of the party a voice and a say and whether a PM is strong-armed out. And I'm delighted to say Patrick Stoner joins me now. So there's a civil war going on behind the scenes... There is. ..in the yes. Tory party, it's isn't a, There is a civil war. And is it the, M the members versus the MPs? It's the... No, not even so much the MPs. OK, what, the, what is it? Explain. It's the members versus the, the board, and the 1922, and, and the, the way the party is generally run. The local associations have no powers... Um, and, and they, the, this is part of what makes the Conservative Party the Conservative Party. So you feel furious mm. that Boris Johnson, who was an MP democratically elected in yes. a landslide, a, a Prime Minister who delivered mm. Brexit, was deposed mm. in large part because of a campaign by the media, um, and it was a decision made by MPs, yes. without the members getting any say. Without any say at all. I mean, we voted Boris in. He went in with a, with a huge majority, one of the biggest in, in a long time. And then a few, and it is a few, of backbench MPs led by the 1922 committee decide that they want rid of him and virtually committing suicide for the party in the possible general election. Because you think there would have been more chance of Boris Johnson winning versus Keir than either Liz Truss or yeah. Rishi Sunak. Oh, yeah. And the point is, there actually aren't that many Tory members, so you're already mm. making a massive impact behind the scenes in the yes. party. What influence do you think you could end up wielding? And what is it you want? I mean, do you want more power to the members permanently? For example, would you prefer the MPs not to have the option of being able to depose a Prime Minister? Should that go down I think to a it vote should go party? that far. Uh, because the, 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 uh, whether we like it or not, although 
in theory, we vote for our local MP. The reality is that most of us actually vote for the leader of the party. And somebody like Boris got that majority. The, uh, the local people voted for their MPs, but they didn't really care who, who they were. They wanted Boris in. They got Boris in. Um, but then that, that whole decision take, being taken away was considered, that's not fair. And, and they, the people started to leave the party in droves. And as you say, it's a small membership to begin with. How many is a bit of a mystery. I mean, even the party doesn't really seem to know. And um, so... And what's interesting is Boris and Dominic Cummings <laughs> used that <laughs> famous slogan, take back control, mm. when it came to Brexit. Are you now trying to take back control yes. of the Tory party? Yes, yes, we are. But not just us. I mean, it, we started this on Twitter very recently... And it went from strength to strength. Um, you already have thousands and thousands of followers. Well, we, we, we personally only have about 3,500 followers. What we found is, though, that we were then... A lot of those followers are, are the groups. There are also the, what we call the heavy hitters, the, the people like uh, Sophie uh, Corcoran, mm. who apparently appeared on GB News one year ago today for the first <laughs> time. So. Um, and we have... Um, we have Peter Crudus, who is, is a great supporter of this, this move. We have people like the Conservative Post. Those are the people who are, make sufficient numbers between us mm. that we can do something. Have you tried to reach out to Boris Johnson directly? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, do, you believe that, do you believe that he supports your campaign? I think he does. I think he has to, because I think... He has the integrity that if he didn't support it to a large extent, he would actually have sent the message back. He, he is talking to people that we're talking to on a one-to-one -one basis, and he would have said, oh, I'm not, not really interested, so we, we, we live in hope. But, um, but the point is, Tory members are not just going to sit back no. and allow democracy in your party to be railed. No, absolutely not. Will Liz Truss get your support as Prime Minister? Liz Truss would. She, uh, we would have to, because if, if, if for any reason Boris isn't coming back, then she is our next best hope. Yeah. Would well, you know what she needs to do? The moment that she is announced in seven days' time, I think it's important that she meets an organisation like yours... I think so. ..and makes some immediate pledges to ensure that democracy in the party is delivered to the members. Because here's the point. If... The 1922 mm. had their way. If the MPs had their way, we would have a Rishi Sunak as Prime Minister in place right now. Yes. And that's not what the Conservative Party members want. So it's actually in Liz Truss's interest mm -hmm. as Prime Minister to try and return democracy to the party. It is. It is. And I think you've got a very strong movement, actually. We're going to keep in touch. We're going to keep following what you're doing. Good. Because I think there has to be change in the party. I think so. Because the party is incredibly out of touch. With the people. It is totally out of touch. To yes. Let's return to tomorrow's news tonight now on our media bus. Lots more front pages than the Daily Express carries comments from leading econo uh, economist Patrick Minford, very good man, he was on the show last month, to say that Liz Truss's tax plan is the only way to rescue the, the economy. Here, here. 
The Daily Telegraph leads with reports that statins do not cause common aches and pains, and research shows people complaining about symptoms are simply getting older. Meanwhile, Albanian cops to perform criminal checks on migrants at Dover. The Sun leads with Megan's latest claim. We kicked off the show with this, didn't we, from that despicable tell-all chat in the cut. The Prince Harry apparently told her that he, quote, lost his father during the Megxit split. It comes after it emerged that the Duke and Duchess of Woke won't be visiting Charles, the Queen or William and Kate during the next visit. Aren't they delightful people? Not. The Daily Mail also focuses on Meghan Markle's latest absurd victim-laden interview where she again unleashes on the royal family and fires off another load of lies. The paper's royal editor, Rebecca English, calls it bizarre, unintentionally hilarious, with undertones of cool menace. The Independent leads with the story that mounting court chaos has seen criminals go free as record-breaking backlogs grow, with some cases being pushed until 2024. The Times leads with the news that PM hopeful Liz Truss will approve a series of oil and gas drilling licences in the North Sea in one of her first acts as part of a long-term plan to secure Britain's energy security. And that's great news, given my digest earlier. My superstar panel return now. Top Daily Express columnist Carol Malone, star reporter at the I newspaper Benjamin Butterworth, and former Brexit Party MEP Belinda De Lucy. Now, a school district in the USA, Missouri, has caused an international debate by reinstating corporal punishment for misbehaving students after parents in the area called for smacking to be brought back. The new policy will require parents to opt their children into being disciplined physically and will only be used as a last resort. Students will only be smacked with a wooden paddle if there is a witness present that is not another student and the smack cannot cause any bodily injury or harm. Now, corporal punishment in all UK state schools, that was banned in 1986, in all other schools in 1998. Though controversial, some are now wondering aloud whether it should be brought back here. Former police officer and UKIP leader, former UKIP leader Henry Bolton told us if we're to be serious as a society about reducing antisocial behaviour, abuse on the streets and such things as criminal damage, then laying down lines of acceptable behaviour and improving discipline, including corporal punishment in school, has to play a part. Liberal attitudes have eroded social responsibilities and discipline, and this feeds in directly to the lack of respect and behavioural problems we see on our streets, from mindless vandalism to knife carrying. Carol Malone, you're in favour of, of the return of corporal punishment. I'm not in favour of bashing kids or abusing kids or hurting kids. However, I am in favour of punishment. And by that I mean schools today, kids today, there are no consequences to their bad behaviour. It's why now the abuse of teachers... It's, I looked at the stats today. One in four teachers are physically abused every week. 77% of teachers say they've been kicked or shoved or pushed. Nine out of ten staff are dealing with challenging behaviour. Now, this is because there are no consequences to unruly, to badly behaved kids. And what happens is, these days, if a, if a teacher even looks the wrong way, looks sternly at a kid, the parent I blame a lot of parents. Parents come up to the school, they tell the teachers off. I think what we have to do here, corporal punishment, it, it will never be reintroduced back here, but I think what we have to do now is, is empower teachers and we have to say to parents, mm -hmm. let the teachers deal with it in the best way. But if you could, the... you would bring it back. Um, no, because let, let me tell you why I wouldn't. Because I, when I was punished as a kid, it hurt. 
I mean, it really hurt. And, and, and don't get me wrong, it stopped me from being bad. I used to get a, a wooden board duster across mm. my knuckles uh, or I got the cane, which I think these days would never be tolerated. But you saw in Missouri there's going to be controlled circumstances, yes, right? Yes, that's, that's, that is, that's different. Kids. That is different, yes. But what I think is we have to introduce the concept of punishment back into schools. I think it's really important where kids understand if they behave badly, if they abuse a teacher. You know, you can't even suspend a kid now. No. You can't speak harshly to a child now. You can't and say to a kid now, go and stand in a corner because the teacher's career would be is against the human rights. And it would, and the teacher would mm. be fired in favour of, of the course. parent that was complaining. Benjamin Butterworth, we've got to bring back some discipline into schools, don't we? Carol's right. I mean, I think the idea that using violence will deter kids and young people from turning to violence is quite obviously flawed. You know, I think it would be a very dubious situation to have a state and institutions of the state able to beat children. I think that's an entirely inappropriate thing but to do. But that's an inflammatory word, beat that. No-one's suggesting that. But I'm afraid that I think that, you know, slapping a child with a wooden paddle, I think it was the suggestion in this example... Spanking, they call it in the US. Spank... I was trying to avoid the word, but... <laughs> um, you know, I think, I, as far as I'm concerned, that is beating. And actually, all that, all, that, all that shows is that it tells a child that, you, that we think you, we can change your behaviour by using a level of aggression and, and physical violence. And I think that sets a completely wrong tone. If you look at London, for example, London schools now get the highest grades of any region in the country. In the last 20 years, most of them have seen a dramatic turnaround, and that wasn't done by beating children in some of these really tough, but rough is inner it city okay? schools. Is it, it, okay it was done the... by having very strict head teachers. But is it OK for the teachers to get beaten? Because they are being beaten. Now the compensation that councils... Crime, the, no, now the compensation that all councils have to pay is astronomical. It's in the hundreds of thousands that they're having to pay to teachers who get bashed. One teacher in London um, got 850 grand compo because he got kicked in the head. He has tinnitus now. He can never work as a teacher again because he's suffering from depression. But, that, but Belinda, that's a crime and that crime should be enforced. And those but that's kids, happening those everywhere. Those kids should go to young offenders. Mm. Belinda, as a parent, would you have an issue with corporal punishment? Have you ever smacked your kids? Well, I run a very tight ship at home, Dan. I had four kids under five and my mum always said you've got to get the discipline in before they hit five. Mm. And I do think discipline begins at home. I think mm. it's up to the parents really right. to discipline their children and not outsource mm. it to school. But does, so, that, does that include a little smack? Yeah, a little clip around the ear. Well, only if it was a life and death. But that, that's the way I was brought up and my kids are really well behaved and good pupils and very respectful to teachers mm. in school because of it. And I think, unfortunately, there is a feeling that in some households, parents outsource discipline to schools and expect teachers to do it for them. Um, I would never, by the way, outsource any type of physical punishment to teachers in schools against a child because you never know what kind of mood the teacher's in. You never know whether mm. the child's going to, you know, mm. cry so more it abuse. Be parents it, it's 100% parents. And I, I mean, my dad was beaten so badly at school, he had to have stitches that I could, mm. you can still see in his back at the age of 75 years old. He was in hospital for days. Um, so I, I just no punishment. Do you know what they should do the is take the phone, my dad take the iPhones away from the children if they misbehave. That's worse than beating for them. Final word, Benjamin. Well, I was going to say, you know, I actually think it should go... I think Belinda's completely right, it's the responsibility of the parents, but I do think it should be illegal in England, as it is in Wales, to for a parent to slap their child, because violence against a child is not the answer to behavioural issues. You'd be locked up, Belinda. sometimes. <laughs> I would be anyway, Dan. <laughs> Now, you would have thought this was a sweet clip of Hollywood star Drew Barrymore celebrating the rain after an extended period of dry weather. <laughs> oh. 
whenever you can go out into the rain, do not miss the opportunity! <laughs> now, we all know the feeling after the relentless heat wave we've been having, right? But believe it or not, because it's 2022, for that, Drew Barrymore has been accused of racism. That baffling accusation launched by a furious TikTok user who said the video resembles a frolicking trend started by black TikTokers earlier this year where black men run around happily in nature. And I both know that you are capable of enjoying the rain and frolicking freely without filming it and then posting it to TikTok. Now, you've just co-signed Okay, you've just co-signed at least 3 million 8.5 by 11 front and back people who just go out of their way to disrespect and dismiss the boundaries that black creators have set. And now you're one of those people. So I guess my question would be, why? Why, why is it so important to all of you to treat us like we don't matter? I mean, it's, I'm it's, speechless. I mean, that is beyond. You know, the thing, so what, are only people of colour in America entitled to frolic in, the, in nature? Is that what she's <laughs> actually... Drew Barrymore's a racist for having a rainbow. I mean, that's just out. Benjamin, surely nothing. even you must admit that's one step too far. That's across the line. <laughs> oh, come on. I, do, I don't think rain is racist, no. Thank goodness. Well, she, said, she said nothing that was vaguely racist. Carol Malone, oh. Melinda De Lucy, do stand by. Coming up, my superstar panel will return to nominate for tonight's Greatest Britain and Union jackass but first the british freedom fighters who exposed justin trudeau's tyranny for the world to see sean rickard and carl harrison join me alongside canadian columnist rupert subramania straight after the break uh, to reveal how they took on trudeau first though quick look at what's coming up in tomorrow's show Coming up on Dan Wharton tonight, will our politicians have blood on their hands if they fail to stop the violent criminals taking over lawless Britain? BBC TV star Shabs Ahmad made headlines for calling out failed London Mayor Sadiq Khan's warped priorities and he joins me live for a no-holds-barred interview. Plus, strap in for a night of unfiltered opinion as Nigel Farage and superstar US journalist Megyn Kelly tackles the issues that matter to you. And I'll break down the day's biggest headlines with my superstar panel, former editor, current columnist at the Daily Star, Dawn Neeson, conservative commentator, the Reverend Calvin Robinson, and author and journalist, Rebecca Reed. That's Dan Wharton tonight, Monday to Thursday, from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. But it's time now for Uncancelled. And this is where the world's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. Now, the great backtrack continues gathering steam as governments, lockdown enthusiasts and vaccine pushes sneakily trying to save face by distancing themselves from the COVID tyranny of the past two years. However, there are too many decent people in this world to simply allow these gaslighters and cretins to slip off into obscurity. So two Brits living in Canada, Carl Harrison and Sean Rickard, are currently taking COVID authoritarian Justin Trudeau to court over his ghastly vaccine mandate that banned unjabbed citizens from public transport and even leaving the country.
Like thousands of others, the pair were unable to fly back to Britain to visit Aileen parents because of Trudeau's discriminatory rules. Sean raised £80,000 online to launch a legal action against Trudeau's out-of-control government before Carl teamed up to bring a 120000 freedom-fighting lawsuit. Sean and Carl found not one person in Trudeau's 20-strong COVID recovery group panel that made the communist-style rules had any formal education in epidemiology, medicine or public health. Next month, a judge will decide whether to pursue the case, but regardless of their decision, Trudeau's political games with Canadian lives have been well and truly exposed. And I'm delighted to be joined now by the liberty-loving Brits themselves, Sean Rickard and Carl Harrison, plus star columnists for Canada's National Post newspaper, Rupa Subramania. Now, Rupa, you broke this story of British heroism to the world. How significant is this action? Well, uh, thanks, Dan, for having me on the show. Um, and uh, I was uh, I broke the story for Barry Wise's Common Sense on August 2nd. She's amazing. And, uh, she is amazing. And uh, the Trudeau government always claimed that COVID-19 policies were based on the science and the evidence. Uh, but thanks to the civil suit brought by Carl and Sean, uh, we've seen the inside of one of their key mandates. This is the vaccine mandate for travel, which proved to be destructive and prevented millions of Canadians from traveling within the country or to go overseas to visit sick relatives. And uh, and so I went over hundreds of pages of testimony uh, and cross-examination, and it becomes crystal clear that the mandates were going to happen regardless, and the bureaucrats had to scramble to find some, some, to find some kind of a scientific rationale for which uh, they weren't able to do even just a few days before the mandates kicked in. Um, and uh, I want to uh, tell your uh, listeners and your viewers that Trudeau, why did Trudeau do this? That Trudeau was in a minority in the House of Commons, having lost his big majority because of a series of corruption and cronyism scams uh, back in 2019. He was desperate to regain it, and vaccine mandates proved to be the perfect wedge issue. And why for travel? Well, one crucial reason is that it was, it's the only sector apart from, the fed, from federal workplaces which comes under the federal government's powers. In other words, this was the only place where Trudeau could flex his muscles and impose a vaccine mandates, and that's what he did. Um, and the rest was really trying to retrospect, uh, retroactively provide some kind of a rationale which wasn't there. Um, and that, that, is, that is what happened, and, uh, uh, to sum it up. No, it was a fascinating revelation. Now, look, Sean and Carl, what heroes you are. Uh, Sean, you were actually strangers, weren't you, before this happened? But you're now both flying the flag for Britain abroad. Uh, why were you prepared to put yourself on the line in order to do this? Um, because nobody else was. Uh, nobody else was doing anything. Uh, the politicians uh, laid silent. And um, what was happening was, was, was very uh, egregious and, and tyrannical in my mind. And, and the fact that none of the politicians were standing up to it and, and pushing back, um, it, it worried us. And um, the fact that we weren't able to, to leave our own country, uh, literally by law, we could not leave Canada under this, under this mandate which is, to me, it resembles something like North Korea or Cuba, right? Uh, it's not what you would expect in a democratic country like Canada. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just felt compelled and um, decided to start reaching out to some people and uh, was eventually put in touch with our lawyer, Sam. We had a quick conversation and uh, 
got the ball rolling very quickly, literally that same day, and got the, got a fundraiser going. And um, the rest is history. We started running it through social media. That's where I met Carl through Twitter. Um, we, we had a few conversations back and forth and eventually decided to have a Zoom meeting with Sam and we, we joined forces and we've been working together ever since. And thanks to uh, Rupert and her hard work, um, what we've uncovered during this process is, is quite shocking. And, uh, and well, it, it is. Be... It's hugely shocking. And Carl Harrison, I mean, yes, obviously it's ironic, isn't it, that it took uh, two Brits to do this. Uh, but I guess your hope, Carl, is that now the truth of the decision-making has been exposed for all to see. They shouldn't be able to do this again because, of course, I know that the mandates have been dropped, but they say it's only temporary and they could come back at any time. Yeah, I mean, um, the, uh, the mandates are suspended, not dropped, um, and that's certainly part of our case. We've got to challenge that now to the government, of course, are trying to um, make the decision or make their decision um, make the court case moot, as it's called over here, which means that in their language, there's nothing to be decided, which we uh, don't agree with. Uh, I, I think, you know, as a, as a, as a, I mean, I'm a Canadian citizen and a British citizen. I've been here for some time since 2009. And there are some differences and um, between what you're seeing there and what we've seen here. And that's a cultural issue as well as a political one. But certainly everything's been politicized. There are differences between what you've seen in the UK. Certainly in England, you didn't see the divisive mandates implemented. I know they toyed with it there, but they didn't bring them in. Whereas in Canada, right across the board, every province and the federal government brought these kind of proof of vaccine and vaccine mandates in, which were highly discriminatory and have been very, very divisive indeed in, in Canada, which is a great shame. Roop has done a fantastic job because unlike, again, like the UK media, where you've got different views and different opinions, and whilst you might think some of that's been suppressed and restrained, compared to here, it hasn't. Uh, the mainstream media here hasn't covered uh, any of the, the issues at all and still refuses to do so, which is very sad. But Rupert has done a great job of bringing it to public attention, and it's good that we're getting some, some time with you. But certainly, politicised it has been. You've seen that, let's say, in the UK, Scotland bringing in proof of vaccine, Wales doing the same, but England not doing that. So there is some, there, there, no, indeed. obviously the science has to be the same, so I don't see why the political colours should matter. But in Canada, we, we've seen it very intensively. And as Sean has said, we've prevented, you know, uh, millions of Canadians, seven, six, seven million Canadians from just engaging yep. in normal life and totally. doing normal things. It is absolutely sick what happened. We can never let it happen again. And that's why we have to keep on this with a laser focus. Liberty-loving Brits, Sean Rickard and Carl Harrison and star columnist for Canada's National Post newspaper, Rupert Subramania. Thank you all so much. But it's time now to reveal today's greatest Britain and union jackass. My superstar panel return, Carol Malone. Who is your greatest Britain nominee? Mine is Gibraltar, which is <laughs> now that. officially a city. It was given city status by the Queen in 1842, but somehow it was omitted from the official list. No one called it a city. But on the Platinum Jubilee, uh, 39 places were invited to apply for citydom or whatever you really call it. And Gibraltar has got it. It's fantastic. So hopefully it doesn't give them any extra benefits, but it'll make the residents happy. It's good. 
Benjamin Button with your greatest Britain nominee. Well, mine is the dancing former Secretary of State, Michael Gove, <laughs> who follows in the uh, brilliant footsteps of Sana Marin, the Prime Minister of Finland, and Hillary Clinton when Secretary of State, for enjoying a good dance and also being a politician. And you know, there's a lot of controversy about dancing politicians recently. I think good for them if they can relax and unwind from their work. And Belinda Delucy, your Greatest Britain nominee. My Greatest Britain this week is Jacob Rees-Mogg for publishing another plan to create a lean, mean civil service machine, uh, selling off up to £2 billion worth of government property that is being unused because jobs are being moved out to the country. Good for you, Jacob. Do you know what? I'm going to go with Jacob Rees-Mogg for Greatest Britain on this because... As you all know, one of my real passion projects is banning this work-from-home madness, which is damning our economy in so many ways. Union Jackass time now. Carol Malone, who's your nominee? Hey, Megan. Um, ah. Only for using her long-awaited podcast to bleat a bit more about how terrible life as a role was. But for this, this interview you talked about earlier in the Cup magazine, where she talked about, when she was here in 2019, she went to the, um, the Lion King premiere, and she said that someone, a cast member, said that, that, that when she married Harry... Everyone rejoiced in the streets the way they did when Mandela was freed. Now, I'm just looking oh. at Twitter tonight. She's trending on Twitter. People in South Africa are really hacked up with her. Where was the also... dancing, Carol? Where was the dancing? I'd love but to see it. But she also said that the bravest thing she ever did was go to South Africa. Well, people in South Africa are really cross about that as well. Again, she's upset Honestly, everyone. this was one of the most deranged interviews I've ever read. It shows she is so far down that rabbit hole, she's dragged <laughs> Prince Harry with her. My goodness, I actually think Prince Charles and Prince William need to fly over to Montecito, stage an intervention, save Prince Harry uh, from that fantasist. Benjamin Butterworth, you want a mini? Well, I must confess, I wanted to do Meghan Markle as well, based on that. Oh, I've, I love it! I've gone with J.K. Rowling, who's... Why? Who's regret she's a hero on this show, Benjamin. We love her. I regret to say she's written another book. and uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, because she's not good at that, is she? And in, in this one, she talks about a celebrity harangued by self-righteous activists. Well, woe be her, the billionaire author. Well, it's true, and though. And Benjamin Lucy, your nominee. Oh, mine has to be the Labour frontbencher, Lucy Powell, for wearing that T-shirt, never kiss a Tory, just more divisive nonsense from, from Labour Party. I, I, it's childish, but that's the way they, they win people over these well, days. We didn't get a chance to talk about that because of the epic fight yeah. between my superstar <laughs> panel tonight. It was fight night. Uh, Meghan Markle is Union Jack as yeah! I'm back again tomorrow from 9pm. Good night. <laughs>